Welcome to episode 98 of the Horror Dads podcast. You are joined by your hosts, John and Jamie. And we've got a fun one today, man. We're joined by Casey Palamain, who's the uh, co-founder of the Creative License Theater. And she's a huge horror fan. She's been a great supporter of ours. And we have an awesome conversation with her about long takes in horror films. We'll talk a little bit about what that is. But Jamie, what's up, man? Dude, happy first day of fall. Today's the first day of fall as we are recording Officially. this. Officially. Yeah. So we did the interview with Casey about, I don't know, four or five days ago. Uh, I had to do that remotely again. So we are together. It is the first day of fall. It is appropriate that we are together watching a horror movie in the background. Dude. We're in my office, which is just filled with Halloween decor. It feels great in yeah. this moment. I'm feeling all of the great feelings. I put uh, brand new's most recent album, Science Fiction, on today on the drive so to... Yeah, the drive to a farm I want to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, dude, it just, there's nothing like the feeling of fall. The weather has been cooperating. It's been perfect. It truly has. We had like a blast of heat. Uh, the yeah, last, get that week, out of here. Yeah, like yeah. Labor Day weekend. Since then, it's just been like, welcome to fall, and it's been amazing. Uh, Casey, by the way, we love so much. She is, she's just become a good friend of ours. She chats with us constantly on Instagram. And, you know, we yeah. have so many people that listen to the show friends or or just listeners that we don't even necessarily know that well that will communicate with us based on movies that they've seen uh, or as they're watching it they'll dm us and we always love communicating back and forth yeah so hit us up if you're uh if you're into the show and have feedback comments we always try and respond so we just appreciate the engagement immensely um so if this is your first time checking out the show though we do like to do a little bit of a roll in here so if you're looking to just skip this part get right to the interview with casey and talking about uh horror long takes you can do that check down in the show notes we've got some timestamps on everything but we're going to talk through what we've been buying what we're watching what we're wearing family stuff do some plugs and then jump into the episode oh yeah so before we do our intro just for clarification if you landed here you don't know what a long take is and you don't know what a horror dad is <laughs> Uh, a horror dad is us, but long takes are basically shots that are filmed uh, within movies that are no cuts. Yeah, un uninterrupted for yeah. lack of a better term. So there's no there's no editing done between it, and oftentimes a lot of the uh, specific long takes that we talk about they're dialogue heavy scenes, right? So that's a lot of either lines that are perfectly memorized and you just really land the hell out of a take, or the even more impressive concept is we ad lib some of this. We did a little bit of modification on the fly and it, uh, it landed and, and was good enough. So we talked about some really cool shots and some really cool movies. Yeah. It was a different Avenue than we typically take. Yeah. Love it. A little unexplored. Yeah. So it's fun, but let's jump into it, man. What have you been watching? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so dude, I, uh, I've been watching quite a bit. Actually, my wife and I watched, uh, this movie called run rabbit run. It's uh, from this year on Netflix. It's not a cartoon Disney movie. Uh, I wish it was, honestly. <laughs> this one is like a psychological mystery type. One of those where the mother dies and the, like the matriarch of the family dies. Uh, yeah, our main yeah. character is a, a mother to her young daughter, five, six years old. Maybe eight or nine. I don't know. I should know. Uh, but they go to... It's in Australia. They go to the house where the mother recently passed or, you know, she's missing or something. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so they go there. They're trying to uh, <laughs> Your vote of confidence clean up the always. house. 
I think I specifically said to my wife after the movie was like, I would, I can't think of a circumstance in which I would watch this movie again. Uh, so there's that. And then I watched this movie with her that is the complete opposite. Uh, I would watch again right now. It was called The Loneliest Boy in the World. Oh, shit. It's from 2022. This one was on Showtime. Dude, this one is, it's a horror comedy and it's just like got this weird charm to it. It's really like dark comedy, like black comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main kid will remind you of a cross between the kid from like the main zombie kid from, uh, what's that movie my wife loves with like the zombie dude and the girl, they like fall in love. Are you talking about uh, drop dead Fred that we were just talking about? With- no, no. Uh, ah, shit. Anyways. Bearing the X. No, no. Oh, you, all right. Just this, keep going. So yeah, it, it's a mix between that kid and like Johnny Depp as, uh, like Willy Wonka, this main <laughs> character. What and he like fuck? doesn't have a family. He's a big time loner. Just like watches movies. Really kind of like a weird dude. Uh, like his best friends are like these grave diggers that live nearby. Huh. And he starts kind of uh, assembling a family. That's all I'll say. I don't want to spoil anything else. Really like fun. Again, heartfelt for being as like kind of fucked up as it is. Uh, really was like a delight to watch. It was really funny and uh, unexpected. So cool. I, so I've been going through a lot of the standard fare, I guess, given the fact that fall is upon us. Sure. So the obvious stuff, I've been slowly creeping into the Halloween films. You know, we, we kind of prioritize them based off of the time of year, I guess. And we start with the ones we like the least, I guess, because of exactly the fact yeah. that they're not as, as sacred, I guess, in terms of how we view them and when we view them. Yeah, so, start with like Tales of Halloween and shit like that, right? Yeah. And I've I've gone through... You know, Resurrection I had on, and oh yeah, in Halloween Five I've watched a couple of times, so hitting some of those. But I did check out a new movie based from a, a listener suggestion. Okay, our buddy Zach Klein uh, mentioned this movie called Offerings. Oh yeah, I've been seeing rumblings of this. You guys mentioning? Yeah, so this is from 1989. Okay, so this is ten years after this this boy was pushed down a well. Young man kills off the neighborhood bullies who tormented him and leaves their body parts as presents for the one girl who was kind to him. Oh wow. So it is as fucked as it sounds. It's, I can't even, I can't formulate a sentence. As a person that works as a professional communicator, I have a really hard time formulating a sentence about, about this movie. So here's what I'll say. It, if you think you've seen everything, you haven't. Go watch this movie if you're interested in checking out something new that you thought you've seen everything from this decade. You can find it actually on YouTube right now for free. It's streaming on there. That's how I had to watch it. So I luckily have a YouTube set up for my television and was able to check it out. But What year is this from? This is from 1989. I love the cover of this one. It gives me like intruder vibes. Just the cover. It's from 1989. And I honestly, when it came on, I was like, is this from 1923? Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where the photography that, you know, the, fil- the way they filmed it and the way they, the production value behind it. It feels like it's older than it is. It feels like a 70s movie, but... And it probably doesn't help that it's uh, pretty low budget, right? And, and that or you're watching YouTube. it on YouTube. That's what I meant yeah. to say, yeah. You're watching this on YouTube, so... Yeah. yeah, you'll love it. Check it out. So let's talk about what we've been buying. I have a couple things, and you've been the beneficiary of a few items that have come through. So we have a wonderful, wonderful listener, uh, Cammie Mosley. And Cammie is so sweet and kind and sends Jamie and I care packages from time to time. And she sent uh, Jamie and I both a wonderful 
I think it's uh, one of the Matt Pepler standard 8x10s. It's the Krampus poster. It's got the snow globe going. And she sent one to Jamie and one to me. And they're, they're amazing. Cammie's amazing. Matt Pepler's amazing. And uh, we appreciate that immensely. So thank you, Cammie, for sending that. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Cammie. You're the best. I also picked up a couple copies of the new Stephen King book, Holly. Oh, yeah. It's an extension of the Mr. Mercedes series. So uh, you're actually going to hear a little bit of an ad later in exchange for them being kind enough to send us a few. So I, I, I grabbed that. Uh, Cameron Rubik, also, this is like the, the season of giving here. This is our, this is our main yeah. holiday coming up. Uh, Cameron Rubik, who we had on the show, he wrote the Kill River series, uh, amongst other books. He actually sent Jamie and I a couple books from that series that he signed for us, uh, Kill River 2 and 3. So, Cameron, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, dude. And I did pick up a copy of Halloween 3 on VHS. The tape was broken. Oh, yeah. I repaired it by Frankensteining other parts from other tapes. It plays like a gem. I've watched it, I dude. think, three times this week. Now you're like a tape repairman. Oh, you got him? I'll help you out. What I got the you. Fuck. I need a screwdriver. <laughs> Didn't even have a VHS like two months ago. Now it's like I know. Now it's like oh, don't uh, John's sit VHS over there. That's repair my repair yeah. kit station. <laughs> so yeah, that's what uh, Jamie and I have been uh, quote unquote buying, but really just engage with the community and appreciate everybody uh, sending Love sending stuff you over. All. Yeah, yeah, being so kind. So what are you wearing, man? First day of fall, I dude. See first fall day of going. fall. So yeah. we both we went cavity colors. We both did. Uh, I went. Trick or treat. Yes. Yeah, so my, my yellow tie-dye. Yep. Or orange, I guess. It's yellow and orange tie-dye. Yeah. We got Sam sack masking away. Got his little uh, rope, rope tie around his neck. Trick or treat. And just, then at the, bottom, at the bottom, it does like the, you know, poison, drowning, claw, knife. So many ways to take a life. Mm. God. Disturbing. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the way I feel after hearing that. I have on my... Might be the way I said it. Sam's cute voice would be much more disarming. <laughs> yeah. I have on my everyday's Halloween cavity color shirt. So this is from that that line. I know there are a few of these, but this is the one that's got the uh the little skelly guy. He's got other skulls underneath him. He's half pumpkin in the face. And uh, the kids always have a lot of questions about this shirt. There's a lot going on here. So I have this I one. It. I also have the matching shorts. Oh. So I'm just I already in, fucking I told you I'm just my, in the PJs. Yeah, but if they match Oh, that's even worse, I think. <laughs> to some degree. For those of, of you just degree, catching yes. up, uh, my wife has forbade me of wear, from wearing horror shorts and a horror top, regardless of whether or not top, crop top, yeah. horror crop top. <laughs> Moving on. What's been going on with the family? Anything cool? Oh, so with it being the first day of fall, we, my kids had uh, football games today. They're both in flag football. My oldest killed it with some just... Uh, a really tight game, close game, and then my youngest scored a touchdown today, so it was awesome. And then we went to our local fruit, like pumpkin farm, fruit farm. Yeah, White House Fruit Farm is the name of it. It's uh close to where John lives, and it is just like a yearly staple, I think, for everyone who lives in this area. And uh, dude, just it was great. We had like they had like you know all oh, this fall festival and just all the shit out and way too many people, but tons of fun. The kids love it. Yeah. I, I had a very, very similar morning, <laughs> and this was my, my family antic as well. So I came early to check out uh, the game to see my nephews play, super jazzed by uh, how well both of them did. But afterwards, had to go get my daughter from horseback riding, picked her up, got both my kids, and then we went to a spot 
directly next door to where you were. I had no idea you were there. And then we were texting later in the day and you're like, oh, is that White House? Uh, and we went to get pumpkins, but we went just to get pumpkins. It was like yeah. that explicit thing. So we get there. You could go to like the local grocery store and do that, but yeah. it's like, it's just not the same. And I'm the first pumpkin. But right? I'm walking around picking up fucking sca- like scarecrow deck and oh, yeah. the kids are like, can we? And I'm like, yeah, load it up. Just get keep, it in there. Throw it in the cart. Here yeah. we go. Uh, so we got some decorations. We got our pumpkins. And again, first day of fall. I am not exaggerating when I say this on the drive there. I put on science fiction. Oh my God. I was just going to ask you. Had the windows Dude. down. Yeah. I'll fist pump right or now dads. talking about it. Yeah. Just absolutely. That first wonderful. song lit me up, dude. Mm. Yep. I honestly like bury me to that song, please. <laughs> All right. couple quick plugs and then we're going to get into our interview with Casey. So we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash horror dads. Got a $5 tier, a $10 tier. If you're interested in supporting the show or accessing additional content, fantastic way to do that. Uh, we've got a lot of engagement points and we actually have a wonderful discord channel. Uh, where uh, either tier, regardless of uh, if you're a patron, you're on that Discord channel, and a lot of great conversation happens on there. You can find us on social media pretty much everywhere, at Horror Dads. Instagram is our primary channel, but you can uh, sync up with us basically on any of the platforms at Horror Dads. We do have a website, HorrorDads.com, and you can go there to buy merch. I had mentioned earlier that we have a little plug for uh, Stephen King's new book. Steve, we love you. Own your copy of Holly, Stephen King's new suspense novel, now available wherever books are sold. Holly Gibney, one of Stephen King's most compelling and ingeniously resourceful characters, returns in this thrilling novel to solve the gruesome truth behind multiple disappearances in a Midwestern town. And the last thing I'll mention is if you do have the inclination to leave us a five-star review, that would be very, very helpful. It supports the algorithm, lets others find us. Jamie, with that being said, <laughs> let's do some long takes. Yeah. We're coming, Casey! Welcome to episode 98 of the Horror Dads podcast. And we're here to talk about horror long takes. And we're joined by our dear friend, Casey Palamane, who's the co-founder and artistic director of the Creative License Theater in Cohoes, New York. Casey, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you guys so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. We've uh, we're not we're not foreign to interacting with you. You actually were uh, on a, a Patreon episode of ours, right? Yeah, we watched Chopping Mall, which was it was my first time watching it, so it was it was really fun to hang out and watch it with you guys. Oh, that's right. It was your first time. And yeah. uh, have you explored other '80s mall horror movies since then? <laughs> Not a ton, but I have to tell you, I had to, um, I had to like run an errand for work, um, into like a, a city kind of near me that I've, I'm not too familiar with. And the office I was going to, the lady was like, um, oh, you know, we're, we're located in the former shopping mall. And I was like, oh, okay. And I don't know what I expected, but when I got there, it's like an empty shopping mall that like time forgot. Oh, and wow. it, it, yeah. And it was, it was really kind of borderline creepy. And I kept thinking about chopping mall and like just you guys. And just, I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm in a horror movie right now. And like those robots <laughs> are going to come rolling around the corner at me. Like, <laughs> yeah. <minute. laughs> yeah. Every that. time you pass like an empty shop, it's like, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to see the most handsome man ever. Russell Todd is going to come running out with his perfect hair yeah. and biceps. 
Yeah. Yeah. Chopping Mall is a good listen. one. Yeah. Oh, Chopping Mall is one of the best. It truly it is. Truly is. So Casey uh, presented a prompt to us. And the idea here is we're going to talk about, there's a bunch of different vernacular. We've actually been bantering about this for minutes prior to recording. We have decided we're going to classify it as long takes, but a lot of inter- interchangeable concepts here are one, one shots, one takes. So the idea of an extended scene that is filmed without any cuts and uh, that's what we're going to talk about. And the reason for such is because Casey runs this theater and we're going to do a little bit of groundwork prior to picking some films that have some compelling long shots in them to talk about horror, to talk about theater, to talk about horror in theater and the idea of kind of the more live performance with less production and sort of things of that nature. But Casey, did I cover the idea uh, well there? Is that what you had yeah. in mind? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because there's just so much um, like crossover, I think, between like the theater world and film. Um, And, you know, anytime I like hear that a a movie has done a a long take and, you know, the feedback is, oh, it felt like a play. I'm like, oh, I got to watch it then because I just love that like production value of it and all of the um, the work and the rehearsals that go into nailing those shots. I just think it's really it's impressive work. Yeah, for sure. We have some some good friends that are in the theater world, the theater community, and it seems like a very, uh, very common consensus to talk to people in the industry and hear, oh my God, I love theater so much. Uh, the film, the on-screen stuff, not as much. It's it's more calculated. It's less fun. It's, you know, and, and it just seems so much through these conversations that the true... Uh, heart and soul is is typically in the theater end of things yeah yeah because you know especially if you're a performer um you know if you're uh, now I haven't really done movies myself but I know a lot of people that do and I've been like around some like you know independent movie sets and you know you you film a scene from one angle you know maybe just a couple lines of dialogue and then you cut and then you move things around and then you film it again and it's a lot of that you know stopping and starting and then the magic of editing it all you know together you get what you get but in theater like the lights come up and and you're up you're on and if something goes wrong or you know in an unexpected way like you got to find your way out of it you got to work with the people you know with you and you're just in character straight through and it's just a very different um environment to to create in and in kind of prepping for this episode and reading a lot about these long takes that we're going to talk about um, a lot of the actors that were involved in them, like I kept constantly reading them saying like, this was one of the coolest experiences I've ever been a part of, you know, and you, you never get this much time to be in your character at once. So it's just, um, it's just a really cool way to approach like acting and getting into character that I don't think you get, you know, too much in, in film, but that's just, that's the basis of theater. Yeah. You know what I would abs- I would pay 100 million dollars to see is jamie in a theatrical production yeah well you would get your money's worth john <laughs> jamie do you good think, what would happen if you forgot a line like what would you do up there i mean i would improvise like all the best all the greats you would improvise you think you, what would else improvise? Do you think i feel like you would fucking run in all in all there. honesty i would fucking freeze and run <laughs> off stage <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> that happens too. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like Andy Bernard in uh in the office when he goes to see the the Sweeney Todd production. Oh yeah, yeah. And his phone's going off in his pocket. Yeah. And That's a great episode. Calling him out after the fact too. <laughs> All right, so I I wanted to present you guys with a challenge. I want to see if you're up for it. I do limited editing normally when we uh, record this podcast. So I'm I'm proposing to you both. We don't mess this up. We don't take bathroom breaks. We don't mess up our film titles that we're going to talk about. And we're going to do this in one long take with no editing. You guys up for the challenge? I'm so in. I'm ready. Yeah, I think this pertains mostly to me and some uh, off-color remarks sometimes, so I'll, I'll rein it in. Don't freeze and run off stage. That's all yeah. we need from you. No, put it together. All right, Casey, let's hear a little bit about you and your endeavor before we jump into some movies that have some long takes and, and talk about the theater realm in general. But what led to Creative License? So talk about the co-founding experience and then kind of how it evolved into being what it is now and what you do there now. Yeah. Um, I went to school for theater and then, you know, graduated college and just sort of realized like, oh, there's not a lot of theater jobs in the area, you know, if I want to um, stay in my hometown and not move to, you know, New York City or something. So, you know, I took a day job and then just started doing theater, you know, at local community theaters just kind of for fun. And I met a lot of people that are some of like my closest friends and collaborators. And just over the years of doing these shows together, um, my friend Aaron and I just, you know, decided we, we wanted to go out on our own and do something a little bit different. We wanted to pick shows that are, you know, not produced as much or kind of weird, kind of dark, kind of creepy. Um, we just weren't seeing that a ton in the theater scene at that time. So in 2014, we formed Creative License and had our first show and we've just been doing shows ever since. And, um, you know, we started out in this like um, arts incubator space and then a couple of years ago we became the um non-musical resident theater company of the Cohoes musical um so you know we graduated into this like really big like great amazing space and now we're working out of there um it's you know the building was was built in like the um 1800s uh, it's one of the oldest performing arts venues in the country i oh. believe um, it's a beautiful space. It's haunted. There's a ghost that that oh, lives in the space. I mean, um, there better be. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Her um her name is Eva. She was a, a vaudeville performer. And um, like sometimes it. you you get in the elevator, you hit the button, and you get put on a different floor, or um, you know, just you kind of see things like flicker and you, you know, don't know if what you saw is really what you think you saw. So there's a lot of really cool parts about doing theater in a space that has history like that. Yeah. That's amazing. I I do. I feel like that's such a common thing to talk to people about that do this is the idea of there being some sort of sentient kind of otherworldly being. Right. And what, why do we think that is, is it just because typically the, theater spaces are older and it might be tougher to maintain and the people that buy these spaces like if i 
was going to buy a theater space, I 100% would look for the oldest one I could possibly find that had curtains from 1920, right? And had that the feel like of a traditional theater. Like, I don't think anyone wants to walk into a theater and have it be like a Holiday Inn Express, right? Where you walk in and it's like, okay, it's very sanitary in here. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to see a play at a Las Vegas resort. Yeah, you know? exactly. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's And, you know, I mean, I guess if you think about if if it was a theater since the late 1800s, how many um, people of all, like, you know, histories and backgrounds and walks of life, I guess, have come through that space. Like, that's just a lot of yeah. energy, I guess. So maybe that kind of energy just is, you know, creates environments for ghosts. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, it's totally, it's totally true. And there's also, um, kind of a, a superstition at the hall where if you're putting on a show, you have to leave Eva an offering before your show. So there's this like shrine upstairs oh in the theater. God. Like, what do you put in there? Anything it's, like, it's like the, the new, the new theater kid who sucks. It'd be like me. They sacrificed me. <laughs> Jamie, get Jamie, your tray. You're sacrificed. <laughs> Here, Eva, Jamie is our offering. <laughs> Please take him. <laughs> hey, uh, Jamie, we got to show you something up here. You're going to love this. It's this really cool piano. Put on a robe and lay down for Eva. Uh, dude, that's funny. But you I... leave like um, flowers or you leave a prop from your show or like a program, things like that. Uh, oh, you ever find that I love what, it. Was, I love was disrupted? Like, do you leave an apple and find a bite out of it the next day? No, but uh, if you don't leave something, your show will run into bad luck. And there have been huh. cases before where that's happened. So now, like, you don't mess around with it. You, mm. you leave Eva something. You just leave something. It's like you, you leave a prop there and then some idiot is like, right when you're about to go on, is like, hey, Casey, here's that uh, thing you left upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, like slow motion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's an episode of Goosebumps. <laughs> Completely. I love the idea of what you said, though, about the energy kind of residing in the environment. Because even if you go into an auditorium at a school, right? That's a school that's been around for a while. You just feel it in there. It's like a piece of your energy stuck to the wall when you left and every person that's ever been in there had a little piece of them stick to it. Uh, and I'm not talking about the walls actually feeling sticky. I'm just talking about the environment feeling mm. just different. Doesn't it? Like when you're yeah. in a, a space that, you know, that's been largely communalized and in consistently is it just feels different. Yeah. Any, I feel like any old building does even like a house. If you go to your friend's house and you know, the house is a hundred years old, it feels different than your friend's, you know, new build house. Yeah. It's like going to the porta potty on day three of the music festival as opposed to day one, you know, right. It just Fest feels today, like living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, how important is the audience interaction when you're doing live performance? It's um you it's so important like you when you're up on stage you really feel it like if you have an audience that's not engaging uh with what you're doing it feels like you're performing to nobody and it really it can get in your head when you're up there and you you know then you kind of just you can lose your focus you know if you really let it get to you but on the other hand, if you have an audience that is like really in it, um, you can feel that energy. And if you hear them laugh or you hear them gasp, it like completely, you know, transforms what you're doing. Um, we did a play. 
It's called Mine. Um, it's written by Laura Marks. It's from 2013. So the whole thing is about um, this woman gives birth. She has a home birth and she gives birth to her baby um, and then goes to sleep and wakes up the next morning and says, this baby is not my baby. So the whole play is about like, is this woman having some sort of psychotic break or is there really something happening? And she meets this other woman named Amy who says she's kind of from a different place. And I came and I took your baby and I left one of our babies in its place. So it's this like, you know, like the idea of a changeling is all kind of, you know, looped in it. So it's a very weird, creepy show. Um, And the audience in that show, like, you could feel like the tension as the play like moved on. And it was just like, you know, when you're watching a a horror movie, right? Like the, in the movie theater, like the, the vibe of the audience, like you can feel it as the tension ratchets up. So imagine like that feeling, but it's not a movie. It's like people right in front of you. So it completely like immerses you even more so um, when everything is happening right in front of you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you ever feel, let's say you're doing a production of Sweeney Todd and you spray blood on someone on the front row and they're like, yeah, right. Does that, does that influence how you, I'm also making this up. I don't know if that actually happened, but (laughs) does that influence if that were to happen and you were to get to, uh, you know, if you had such a positive reaction, would that influence the team to maybe improv as they're up there and be like let's amplify certain elements of this more or conversely if it's like fuck everyone's sleeping out here let's get this over as quickly as possible or no let's amp it up and be funnier or i don't know this so does audience reaction impact the delivery i guess is the simple question with yeah 900 words. yeah it absolutely does so you know wanna um you always want to kind of find a good balance of improv, right? Cause like if you and I are scene partners up there and I do something that you're not prepared for, then that's like almost not fair to you. Like I'm throwing you off and you don't know it. Um, but like if we're in a scene together and something, you know, you, you say your line a certain way and the audience loves it. Maybe at the end of the show, you and I talk and we're like, okay, tomorrow like what you did tonight you got to do that tomorrow and then it'll like inform the show as it grows and the nice thing with theatrical productions is typically you'll do you know a couple performances at least you know we typically do six or seven shows but obviously if you get you know to bigger runs they do it over and over and over so it helps the show really grow as you go because you learn things from the audience and then incorporate it into the next night and the next night and and it just kind of changes from there yeah yeah i love that the uh energy kind of feeds the performance for the next night as well yeah that's really neat it's good how and how long do your guys uh productions typically run we do shorter runs um probably the longest one we've ever done was a full month so that was like uh 12 performances Um, and in that time you really, a lot of times when you do shows, like, you know, you kind of work out the opening night jitters and that kind of thing. And usually around like show three or four, um, you start to really hit your stride. So if you're doing a run that's longer, like several weeks, um, by the end, you're like, you're really in it and it, it feels different than the show that you started with on opening night. 
Thanks. Yeah. How, how did your community kind of come together? The, the people that are serious with this, with you, is that, was that hard to, to formalize or did that exist prior to starting creative license? And it was part of what led you to, to create it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I was doing theater at a, at another local, you know, small theater and I met, um, my, my current business partner, Aaron and Ian, who is, um, this like tremendous actor who's in mostly all of our productions. Um, and we just, you know, we became friends like in life and we're, they're, they're my closest friends and we spend so much time together, but we just worked together so well. And we had the same priorities in terms of the kind of productions we wanted to put on. And, you know, we want to, we want to make people, we're going to show things to people that like they've never seen before. We want to make them, sounds weird to say, I want to make people uncomfortable, but like, I love putting on a show and seeing audience members, you know, cringe and like, just it's it's different you know you don't see that a ton um in in theater at least not in my area i suppose so we all came together over this common um desire to do something that was a little bit different and a little bit more not in your face but um just a little bit more intense i suppose so then we decided to start this company together and we had done enough work in the theater um, you know, area that we knew a lot of people and we were lucky that we put on our first show and a lot of people showed up for us to, to support us, which has been really nice. And just with every show we do, we try to bring in actors that we've never worked with before just to keep growing our network. Yeah. Keep it fresh. fresh yeah. yeah, exactly. I feel like Guar had this same conversation before they started playing shows. They were like, <clears throat> We got to take this thing that a lot of people do and we're going to amp it up a little bit and get the crowd involved a little bit Let's more. Let's make them a little uncomfortable. We're going to need a lot <laughs> of prosthetics and some fake blood. A lot of fake blood. <laughs> yes. That's no, that, that really is incredible. And it's so neat to hear that you're able to like, like if Jamie said to me tomorrow, I swear to God, it would take 20 seconds for him to talk me into any, let's start a blueberry farm. Let's, uh, <laughs> Let's start our roofing company. Let's install a sump pump. If you called me and asked me any of those things, I'd be like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm into blueberries. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, give that a shot. Yeah, because, you you know, when you meet people that um, you just click with and you have similar, you know, goals and, and interests and things, it's just like it's a no brainer to, to keep working together. Yeah, for sure. So let's introduce horror a little bit to the idea of theater. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the ways spaces can be physically kind of haunted, but what intersection points have you seen or identified in the space uh, in relation to horror films that might have resulted from theatrical productions or even vice versa? I know there's an Evil Dead one that's talking about spraying blood. I'm pretty sure the tickets <laughs> have like blood section and not blood section. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> yeah. What, what what's what's going on in that space? Um. Well, we, you know, when we look for scripts, a lot of, um, a lot of horror ones that we found have had some sort of life in, you know, in film, I guess. Um, in 2019, we did a production of The Turn of the Screw, which is based on the Henry James novel from 1898. Um, and that's had, that's been a, um, you know, it was a stage play in 1950, and then it was an opera and a ballet. And there's been like, 
a dozen at least movie adaptations of the turn of the screw i know um two of the more recent ones there was the the turning i believe it was called with um finn wolfhard oh, finn. yeah yeah from stranger things yeah um yeah. And then the Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix, the Mike Flanagan series. Um, that's that's based on this story as well. Oh, okay. That one yeah. does feel very, very theatrical in nature. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So you know, like I said, it started as a novella, but then its next uh, iteration was a stage play. So um, yeah. So there's just like you get all of these pieces of um, you know, like theatrical pieces that have lived other lives as movies and then a, and then a new adaptation of a play and then a different movie and then a new adaptation again. So um, it's cool. Like the evolution of it is, is really cool. Are there any staples? Does your, does your company do more homegrown, more recent stuff of people that submit or I know I keep talking about Sweeney Todd, which just demonstrates my ignorance on (laughs) on theater. Is that the only play that's ever been made? That's it. Uh, That's just the one. We've done it 12 times and it's a little different every time. I feel like it's the only horror play you can think of off the top of your head, John. I've got others, Jamie. You'll hear about them later. uh, So is there there an, uh, an arm of what you guys do that that kind of aligns more with the traditional stuff of like, do you do Shakespeare? Do you do Sweeney Todd? Or is it more, Hey, these up and coming writers are submitting stuff. Like, let's do this. Um, We kind of, it's a little bit of a mix. We try to do stuff that you, that you don't know too much about. Like when we did that show mine, nobody had ever heard of that, like in our area. So that was something completely new and kind of fresh. Um, But then a couple of years later, we did the picture of Dorian Gray, so, yeah. you know, that's pretty, pretty well known. I mean, at least at least most people know the name Dorian Gray. Maybe they don't know the full story. Um, so, uh, you know, we put that show on and that was like a, a new adaptation of the, you know, the no, uh, novella by Oscar Wilde. So we kind of we mix it up a little bit. We don't do too much in terms of like original, um, you know, like brand new scripted stuff, you know, from like stuff that we've written. We've done a bit of that with our podcasting, but as in terms of the main, like main stage productions, it's typically like a mix of the plays that you haven't really heard of too much, but then throwing in some reimagined classics. I do. Hmm. I want to talk about the podcast a little bit, but I do have a question about attendees and, and community engagement, I guess. So I'm drawing parallels again to spaces that make more sense to me as a person that's not been active in theater. But if you told me that there was a band playing cover songs for like ACDC at a bar, I would probably be like, nah, I'm good. I'm not interested in going to do that. But if Jamie, well, if Jamie invited me to do that, I probably would be in because he's my big brother. Right. And I just follow him around. But if, uh, there was an original band playing i would be my my propensity to participate would be higher if mm. the content was original is what i'm getting at mm-hmm. do you feel that's the case in in the theater community too or is the same person that's coming for dorian gray the same person that's coming for mine that's a great question um i think you you can kind of get both so sometimes you want to do something 
we try to find a good balance. So we'll do something with the name recognition so we can maybe draw in some new audience members and they'll go, okay, I don't really know this company very much, very well, but I do know this play and I love it. So I'm going to go check that out. And then hopefully if we've done our job right, they're very engrossed in what we've done. So then when the next show comes along and it's something that they've never heard of, they can go, oh, I went to their show. They did really great work. So I don't know a thing about this play, but I trust that these performers will show me, you know, a great time. So then they'll come. So I think it's all about the mix and doing a little bit of everything to appeal to different folks. And then hopefully we just have people coming no matter what show we're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. That was a good question, Jamie. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) What's your, uh, what's been your favorite that you've ever done? My favorite play that I've ever done? Yeah. I I honestly think it's mine, which is like why I keep talking about it because it's just so like the the show with the the woman who gives birth um and like the changeling idea because it was just um it was so weird and so like not something that people were used to seeing and it was horror and like I've loved horror since I was a little kid so to find a really cool weird play that I could you know, lean into the creepiness of, um, and put that on. It was like such a blast. And, you know, we've been around for about 10 years. We've done 20 plus productions. And if I meet somebody new in my community, like when they find out that when I say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm part of uh, creative license. They, the number one response, like in terms of past shows we get is you guys did mine. Oh my God, that show was so creepy. And like, people love to talk about it because it was, so different and so weird so that to me is that means we like we really did what we set out to accomplish if people years later are still talking to me about this show oh my god yeah do you act in all these as well or i act in some yeah yeah um i directed mine but i've i've acted in a couple here and there i'm a i'm more comfortable directing and, and managing and doing the behind the scenes stuff but if there's a play that has a role that I'm really drawn to then then I'll jump in wow did you you did like theater in high school I assume I did yeah big into it yeah yeah I always did backstage stuff but then I went to a you know a, um like a really a small liberal arts college so I had the opportunity to do acting and costumes and directing and stage managing so I've done a little bit of everything have you done any uh acting in horror plays no, I always want to direct them whenever they uh. come along. <laughs> if only there was a play about like a barber, you know, it was just like, yeah, yeah, a murder, murderous, you know, had music yeah. And... Well, yeah, yeah. Jamie, lots of blood. Sounds like yeah. a good role for you, man. Dude, perfect role for me. So I was trying to find as you were lots discussing, of singing, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to. To find, as you were describing the plot of mine, this movie I, I I watched recently, have you guys seen There's Something Wrong with the Children? No, yeah. it's, on, it's on my list, but I haven't seen it yet. Talk about something that you put on thinking, I'm going to have a little bit of fun and watch a movie and then quickly determine that you no, are there's... not ever going to have fun again. <laughs> I mean, John, is that the one with the dude from Midnight Mass? Yes. Yeah. Who is... The most responsible looking person. Like, if that guy asked me to start a business tomorrow, I'd be like, what do you need? Yeah. Whatever you need, 
I need a panel replaced in my bathroom. Can you help? <laughs> that guy. You got it. <laughs> I'm there for you, guy. But yeah, that's a very haunting changeling story. And that that plays more like a movie. But now, ever since you brought this up, I am fixating on the idea of someone writing a script and someone reading a script and someone memorizing lines. And in my in my brain, I feel like when I'm watching a movie from 1945, I can tell that someone's reading or rehearsing lines. Whereas when you watch movies in more, more current day, the delivery expectation has changed so much. I don't know when that happened or why it happened, but it somewhere along the lines, I guess it was when the 60s came and people said, no, we're going to be more honest and more open and more free loving and more forgiving. And it made people feel like they had to be less exact. I don't know. But now it doesn't, you know, I don't feel like I'm so removed from that oftentimes when watching something, but watching movies, movies from then I'm rooted there immediately. Yeah. I think it probably comes from just the, at first you were just like, wait, we can do plays on, we can just record plays and make them into a movie. So it's like you're just naturally doing the same thing you've been doing. Now we're just filming it. And then along the way, someone's like, well, this is not realistic. This doesn't seem fucking realistic. Let's <laughs> yeah. let's uh, add some realism to this. Take off the top hat. And yeah, drop please. the cane. And put the pipe down. You do not have a limp. You do not read that cane. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I guess, you know, if you think about, like, when you're acting in a play, you're acting, you have to act to the people in the back of the auditorium. But when you're mm-hmm. acting in a movie, you're just acting to the camera that is maybe a foot away from you. So the the technique is very different. So, yeah, it is interesting that um, to think about, like, that, that kind of theater, like, style, I guess, in those older movies and then going, oh, okay, no, wait, we can we can control like perspective and like the the camera, I guess a bit better and like who you're playing to. So of course that would kind of, that would change over time. Yeah. It's just so funny also, to think, you know, like it, what well, is, it is funny. Also like watching it now is almost cringeworthy, you know? Yeah. That's what I like, mean. It's like, when did someone say like, why what the fuck are, are you... you talking like that? Just stop. Yeah, like, yeah. What, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? It's, yeah. It is exactly like that, Jimmy John. Stewart. You then, are great, and you remember line, and you're one of the greatest ever. But you can be authentic. Stop that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it probably but back was... then that's probably what initially the viewers probably wanted. You know, oh, I can see this play on video. Yeah, and Jimmy Stewart, I feel like, is probably a really good example of part of that transition, right? Because he was totally he was such yep. a presence and such a prominent. It, the Cary Grants, the Jimmy Stewart's, I'm just, again, defaulting to what I know, which is Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and those, those, and Grace Kelly, you know, that whole, that whole crew that Hitchcock worked with so much, it's, it's the prim and proper, but also some edginess. And they bring in the, the, even if they're delivering it in a certain way, they're dropping comments like, oh, wow, you know, you're, you're pushing the boundaries here. You're pushing the limits a little bit. So. I do wonder, I know there's got to be some research around this, but I wonder if there's like one movie or one movement that like really forged that, uh, that transition. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, you can also think about like now we're so accustomed to seeing actors like, 
you know, Christian Bale or Joaquin Phoenix, like totally lose themselves in their roles, right? Where they become a new person. But, uh, you know, I'd be interested to know, like when that technique of acting really became a thing, because, you know, like you don't see that as much when you do watch movies that are maybe from the you know, the, the forties or the fifties. So yes, yeah, somewhere in there, the actor's technique probably shifted and then that informs how it changes. I do. And I do, I'm not playing a character. I am the character. Yeah, exactly. An and extreme you, method. The commitment of, we were just, actually just talking about this with Mike Vaughn too, Jamie, the, the voice actor for, for the scream TV series. Yeah. Well, the voice actor from the exorcist is what I was, I was going to reference, but yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, how she was doing actual like permanent damage to her body, to her voice, like smoking cigarettes and drinking raw eggs and all this other stuff to, to gear up for this part. And it, in reality, she's in a vocal booth and probably did a half a day. I, I don't, I, I don't want to minimize it because someone's going to pounce on us and be like, it was three <laughs> weeks of work. You fuck. Uh, yeah. I don't know exactly what it was, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that was, you know, that was in the seventies. So we're, we're a little bit far, further removed, but I feel like horror does that, that this specific genre does pull, pull people into more of a aggressive committed sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Even like, you know, you read behind the scenes stuff about the exorcist and like, or like Texas chainsaw and just like how, how immersed and like physically affected those folks were that were in those in those movies with yeah. you know getting injured um you know while shooting scenes and things like that so yeah it's i absolutely right yeah i can't think of texas chainsaw massacre and not think of what i read about like everyone's saying how bad it fucking smelled in there oh and in god that house. yeah it's like over 100 degrees with like the chicken chicken shit yeah it's it's so gross and you feel that when you're watching that movie it's that's what makes that movie so great you know i know could you imagine being that hot and having to listen to franklin's voice (laughs) the worst (laughs) character in a horror movie the heat or the the sounds penetrating your eardrums i feel like leatherface take me yes please just please can you cut my ears off first (laughs) Turns out someone accidentally actually killed Franklin, so we're going to have to clean that up. Oh, we do complain about Franklin a lot, and I'm I'm sorry, but Franklin, not... When we have him on this show, like, in six months, we're going to be like, we love love your character. Dude, I just got a Franklin Uh, tattoo. One of our favorite characters of all time in horror, you know? Yeah. Then he'll, like, listen back, which they never do, but he would, just by chance. Be like, wait a second. Episode yeah. 98, I heard you fuckers. These assholes talk bad about my character all the time. <laughs> Constantly. This is definitely not common the thread time throughout the show. Franklin <laughs> sucks. All right. I guess we strayed away from our topic at hand. But <laughs> this is all fascinating. So, Casey, how are you guys funded? And if you need uh, you know, external support for funding, how can people do that? Oh yeah, we um So we do have a Patreon. Um, You, you know, if you're local, you get tickets to the shows and like exclusive invites to things. But we also have digital content, too, that will roll out to um, our patrons. We just wrapped a series on 
like kind of the making of our shows and, you know, how we pick the music that goes into our shows, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of cool exclusive content there, but you can, you know, become a patron and support us that way. Um, And then, you know, other than that, it's just kind of local, local folks that buy a ticket to our productions. Do you have, so I listen to NPR a lot and twice a year they do these fundraising efforts. Do you have a, a way online where people can, can donate? Or contribute? You know, we don't really. Um, it's mainly we've just been really trying to grow our Patreon and try to get folks that way. But certainly, if somebody wanted to support us financially and wanted to reach out to us, I would be happy to chat with them and figure out a way to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Do you guys want to talk about some uh, long takes or anything else that we want to touch before we jump there? Real quick, I'm interested in the what's the other endeavor that you have, Casey? The art. What's what's the name of that one? Oh yeah, well I'm the um I'm the executive director of an organization called the Albany Barn. Um, there we go. Yeah, we're a creative arts incubator for artists. So if you're an artist in the area and you need space to work or you need professional development help, so you know maybe you've always wanted to teach a class, but you don't know how to do that, or you've always wanted to paint a mural on the side of a building, but, you know, have no idea how to make that happen. That's where my organization comes in and we provide the support for those artists. So then they can go out, you know, they can grow their business, teach classes, they can, you know, spread art and just kind of contribute to the creative economy. And you have something really cool planned for the 13th of next month, which happens to be on a Friday. What is that? <laughs> we do. Um, we have a um, big, uh, we call it an anti-gala um, because it's, you know, it serves a, the functions of a gala. You know, it, it raises money for our organization, but it's um, it's just a big party. You know, we don't want to have, it's not, it's not like stuffy or anything. We just want people to come and have a good time. So that's called Fusion. And this year it is on Friday the 13th. So my team and I have really leaned into the spooky Friday the 13th vibe of it. So um, it's just a big, big fundraiser and a big party to celebrate our organization and, um, you know, all the work that we do. We've got um, these really cool masks that my coworker made in the wood shop in one of our locations. And we're just getting them out to artists and uh, artists can, you know, they'll paint or sculpt on them or whatever they want to do. And then those will be on display for folks to buy. So really leaning in and having fun with that Friday the 13th vibe. John, have you seen this yet? Did she show you the mask? No. So look at this. Every artist gets to work on this. Oh my God. This blank canvas. Yeah. That's incredible. That is honestly incredible. I'll, I'll buy one of those. I like, I will fly to (laughs) Albany or Cohees or wherever I have to go to this. I think uh, I think both of the endeavors you're involved in are incredibly admirable. And we were just talking about how, you know, Jamie and I work wonderful jobs, but don't don't necessarily have that community engagement, that community involvement component. So that's such a, a wonderful thing to hear that you're doing two things that are so, so productive when it comes to engaging the community. So that's great. Yeah, I think we as a society and as just people, we work to live and to survive and there are some people that are fortunate enough to work uh for passion and for stuff that they love and to make other people passionate about that and love that and that's what you get to do and that's amazing thank you so much oh my gosh that's so nice yeah it's um 
I love it. I've always been an artist and a lover of art. And um, I'm very happy that I spend half of my day supporting others in their artistic endeavors. And the other half of my day is doing my own artistic endeavors. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah. That's That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Long shot time. Let's let's do some long takes. So we're going to talk about nine movies, nine long, long movies. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nine scenes from nine movies that are long takes and we're going to round robin this and we're going to start with Casey who's our our guest of honor here so Casey first movie first scene give us the lowdown all right my first pick is rope directed by Alfred Hitchcock I just think we ought to wait till after you graduate. I don't. It's only a month. Janet, a month. Please. Sorry. I personally consider us engaged as of now. Congratulations. David, no. Look, you can say yes in a taxi. I have a 2.30 appointment I'm in your... staying right here. Oh, afraid you'll say yes. Ooh. This is, so this was 1948. So this, was, <laughs> this falls in the timeline of kind of that uh, robotic communication style a little bit. Uh, but yeah, tell us all about Rope. I fucking love this movie, by the way. Great pick. Yeah, I I had never uh, seen it before, so I watched it to um, you know prep for prep for this episode. Um, it's so great. I mean, it, it was it's so much fun, and um, like I, I don't know. I was just I was like really engrossed in it. I was just really excited to watch it. So you know, there's um, it's kind of the story of two young men that, you know, this movie opens and like right off the bat, they have killed a man and they're, you know, they put him in a, in a chest in their um, apartment and they show it, right? Isn't the establishing shot like him going like, like getting to death basically. Oh yeah. Yeah, Like the first, like you see like an exterior of the, um, you know, the building and like the credits are rolling. And then like literally the next thing you see is like these two guys holding up this dead body with like a rope around his neck. (laughs) So like you jump right in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, they put the body in a chest and then proceed to have a, a dinner party with, with, um, you know, friends and, and colleagues. So the whole thing, um, it's actually, you know, when I was kind of doing research into it, um, the the film that they used, you know, back in the day when this movie was made, it it would last for 10 minutes. So um, there are 10, like 10 minute scenes, I guess, like in this in this show, in this movie. So um, it's just really I was just really blown away with it. And anytime I watch movies like this, I'm just really like the the amount of prep time and rehearsals that go into these these movies like I'm just really impressed by it and like the way that they play with like the depth right so this whole the whole movie is set in this like beautiful you know penthouse and people are moving in and out of the the scene you know the whole time but you'll have somebody in the foreground you know like by the buffet then you have a guy playing the piano and then you have somebody by the window and it's just like it's just beautiful shots like that, but it, it allowed, cause you're not cutting. They have all of these characters in one shot and, you know, the person in the foreground might be talking, but you're looking at the person by the window. It's just like, I'm just in awe of how they set these shots up in, especially in this movie from, you know, 1948, like really uh, there's so many movies 
now that have to be informed by what rope did. Totally. And I, I think the idea of perspective, the idea of physical positioning, the idea of voyeurism, that is all part of Hitchcock's toolbox in everything mm-hmm. he does. And you have to think of even Rear Window, the idea of a movie being shot from, you know, that, that, that movie's not one shot, but it's shot from one location. So no, nothing happens beyond that room that they're in. So you're looking at other rooms, but you're always in that room. And this is a very similar situation, but obviously exacerbated because it's 10, 10 minute shots and probably would have been longer shots if they had camera that could, you know, accommodate more rope or more rope, more rope, more (laughs) film. But I think that this, this, this movie is really compelling for a bunch of reasons, but the amount of dialogue in this movie is crazy. So we're going to talk about some other long shots, but dialogue is not always an element of those long shots. And there are movies like, uh, what's that martial arts movie? It's, uh, it's called, uh, Ong Bok, I think it's called. There's like a four and a half minute, like martial arts scene oh, that happens. Yeah. There's like a hyphen in there, right? Ong Bok with a hyphen. I think so. And it goes up a large stairwell and it's this one, one scene thing. And I think it took like a zillion takes, but still there's no, that's all a fight sequence, right? That you've rehearsed and mechanized over and over and over again and there's so much dialogue in this and as a director you know someone's got to have some goal to say okay clearly we're going to go off script but hopefully you're talking in the realm of what is going to accomplish this and to do that and still be able to have the point of this film proved and the point of this movie happen it's honestly amazing and it's just a testament to the direction of, of I think what Hitchcock was able to do Yeah. And like these characters have like the conversations that they have get really like, you know, intense, like about like the, you know, um, like the moral repercussions of murder, you know, that kind of thing. And like you, you like in a, if this was made kind of in a modern movie, like you probably have a lot of cuts, right. And a lot of like real close up shots of people's faces and going back and forth. But you don't, you know, you don't have that in this. Instead, like you have that camera going into, you know, somebody's face and then actually swinging to the other person and then pulling out and then swinging back in. And just the the choreography of it to, you know, keep that intensity and like really focus on these characters' faces without the ability to do these cuts. Um, it makes it even more impressive, I think. Yeah. It. It's It's incredible when you think about what goes into these shots, especially in modern times. Uh, We'll get into this later, but I was watching a behind the scenes video on one of the scenes we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, But they were saying how, you know, just the things you don't even think about as the average viewer, like not only do they have to memorize their lines, but it's the spatial cues and it's the lighting being right. And it's the timing uh, for that lighting. And, just all these things. And if one of those things is off, even by a second, everything is fucked, you know? So it's incredible the amount of patience and the amount of preparation that goes into just one scene, maybe a, a three minute scene even. And we're, t- we're going to be talking about some scenes that are like 30 minutes long. And you have some that are just like a three minute scene that just any little thing can fuck that up and you have to rehearse for like a month. And it's just incredible. Yeah. Hey, David, you left your fucking backpack on the bed. 
We found it at the end of the shot, six and a half minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Any a lot, David. Any... There was no Diet Coke in 1947, okay, <laughs> Kurt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really funny, actually. All right. That's a great pick. Great movie. Jamie, I know you, have, uh, you haven't seen that one, right? So I did for this. I watched that opening scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you heard the... Yeah, 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 and then that whole the the dialogue it was good. Yeah, all right, cool. That's a a, a man being. Ripped. You know what's funny is I was watching that on my uh, MacBook while I was watching Monster House with the kids, so it was like a double double whammy. Wow! I watched Monster House with Luna today. Yeah, there you go. Love you. All right, you're Best up, friends. James. All right, so yeah, mine actually is going to be appropriately uh, one cut of the dead. <laughs> Do you remember when I asked you if this was filmed in one cut or one shot and you looked at me very condescendingly and said, well, yeah, it's called one cut of the dead. <laughs> yeah. So this was from uh, 2017. It's a Japanese zombie comedy. Uh, it's honestly, it's more comedy than horror. You call them Zomcoms. Uh, but so this one's a hard one to talk about without spoiling. Um, I cannot recommend this movie enough to everybody. I know that you two have not seen it yet, which is unbelievable to me, John, you, because I've talked about it too much. Uh, but yes, no, this movie, everyone has to go watch it. If you haven't, if you have, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you have not, I can't spoil it. But the, the opening scene is like, I think it's 30 minutes. Wow. And it's just one continuous shot of a zombie attack. Just so just imagine what goes into that, right? Yeah. Uh this is a super low budget film. I think it was filmed for three million yen, but that's like twenty-five thousand US. So it's super fucking low budget. Uh and it's like essentially the movie is like three parts, and that first part is like the long cut. That's the big one. So that it's just horrific it's you know it's like you also have this whole thing going on where like they're supposed to be shooting a film anyway but then this attack takes place so then the director is like well i'm gonna make the most out of this so he's like directing the lead actress to like do all these things and she's like maneuvering herself through all these things to be theatrical and to make it worth watching while being attacked so there's this whole thing going on and uh from there then a lot more comes into the movie but it's just an unbelievable feat based on what we were just saying, all the preparation that goes into this stuff. And then to see how it unfolds from there, uh, it's really, it's something to watch and it's something to see. And it it really reveals how the, how and why you saw what you saw in the first 30 minutes. If you see it, you'll know why I'm dancing around my words. So um, I hope that everybody watches it and then you'll understand why I'm fumbling on myself. And if you had a video of Jamie right now, he's doing a lot of arm movements, like zombie related you would th- like arm if, movements. If, you, it's pretty, pretty if it's good. muted and you just see me, you'd think I was an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I left the car unlocked down at the... Oh, get the gabagool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that like that movie sounds awesome i absolutely have to check it out yeah i will oh, i'll, so I'll watch it this weekend jamie yeah so that's one cut of the dead very good man yeah right. 2017 and it's like 
it's unbelievable how super like highly acclaimed like i think it's still 100 percent on rotten tomatoes and for a movie that was such low budget like that's incredible wow it is you're right wow yeah. it's 100 percent on rotten that's amazing yeah yeah when you see it, like, honestly, you'll be like, yeah, I see why. All right. That's awesome. I'm excited. So my first one, I'm going, I'm going to go first is worst. Second is the best. Third is the one with the hairy chest. So I'm going to go with my first one is my least favorite <laughs> of my picks. This is the film Funny Games from 2007. Oh. Sorry to disturb you. I'm staying next door. Please come in. Wow, that's a really great set of clubs. Mr. Farber. What? You want to call someone? An ambulance? Or, or the police? Why are you doing this? Have a seat. Please. I'm Paul. We're going to make a bet now. You bet that you'll be alive tomorrow at 9 o'clock, and we bet that you'll be dead. So this... This movie, nothing about this movie is funny. I don't like this movie. Michael Haneke made this film 10 years prior to itself and then remade his own movie. And I, uh, it's just not my style. However, there is a very, very compelling long take in this movie. I don't want to give away what happens in the sequence, but essentially the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent occurs. And I think the scenes over 10 minutes i think it was like 10 minutes and 15 seconds or something but it's incredibly well acted the direction is great i just don't like what's happening in the scene or in the movie really at all during any of the movie uh the dire- as i mentioned the direction is really well done i feel like the the editing and the lighting the way it looks the way it feels this is a top top notch movie I think it is probably great for a lot of people, but uh, it's just not my my thing. So for those that are unfamiliar with with Funny Games, this is a home invasion style movie, and we've got two perpetrators that essentially invade a home and uh, make life a living hell for a pair of parents and a child that live within the home. And uh, we've got this long scene that happens probably about start of the third act of the movie and it is uh, incredibly heartbreaking but it's very it, it evokes tons of emotion there's a lot of crying a lot of uh, camera tricks that are happening the lighting is really intense and i this is one of those things that i can't, i don't want to be similar to what you just said jamie this is a very critical p- portion of the movie so i don't want to root sort of what's happening around it but mm-hmm. yeah this i do you i mean how do you guys feel about this movie this is a this is a tough hang this movie i watched i saw it when you know i saw it once and i was like i think i'm i'm glad i saw this but i don't think i ever need to watch this again yeah yeah it's almost it's 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 not as scary but it's more fucked up than the strangers to me uh yes yeah yeah same sort of thing but the stranger is much scarier because it, it's not brought to obviously they're wearing masks, but they're being they're hiding and shit and fucking with them. Right. Like these guys are just like, yeah, here we are. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> well, there's an element of. 
I point, can't even like believe I'm saying this sentence, but there's an element of levity in this movie in comparison to The Strangers, whereas The Strangers is just, you're not supposed to feel any kind of happy. Not that you ever feel happy in funny games, but I think the title is quite apropos, right? Because the idea is they're having fun and the way they interact with one another as they're deploying their shitty antics, there's an element of what could be perceived as comedic and how they're acting, even though I'm just furious the entire time and I want them both way far away. And that's very, very overtly emphasized toward the end of the movie during one specific scene again that I guess I can't ruin. So we'll just keep dancing around the <laughs> ideas of this movie without any specifics. So take our word for it, though. The long take is incredible. And the movie makes me furious. Great summary of that movie, I think. So there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Awful. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So, Casey, let's. Uh, I hope you have something more fun than what I just talked yeah, about. So I was just going to say, I'm going to shift us from, from a movie that is a little rough to talk about to a movie that I think the three of us could talk about for a really long time. Uh, and that is Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God... So Jaws, 1975, Steven Spielberg. I mean, there's not a ton more to say about this movie that you guys and just the collective, you know, world just hasn't said about it already. It's fantastic. Um, but I I wanted to highlight the, um, there's a scene, it's about three minutes long, and it's actually not, you know, that, um, nothing scary happens in it, right? It's just really solid like three minutes of, of, um, beautiful filmmaking and like character development. So you've got, um, Chief Brody, you've got Hooper and you've got Mayor Vaughn and they're all talking in front of that, you know, the billboard that's been defaced. And, you know, it's really, um, Brody and Hooper trying to convince the mayor, like you got to close the beach. You have a predator, like we have a predator on our hands and this thing like swims and eats and that is it. And, um it's just like it's a beautiful scene because it just it builds tension and it's just a conversation it's just three men having conversation but it's building tension it's making you laugh and it also just really helps you understand who these characters are and what their priorities are and I just like I love you know Mayor like is is fixated on like the tooth, right? Because I think Hooper's like, you know, I I pulled a tooth out, you know, like this tooth was massive. And he's like, well, do you have it? I'm like, no, we don't have yeah. it. And they're just getting so <laughs> yeah. mad. And like, it's just, it's, it's an awesome scene. And you have, I think at one point, Brody gets really pissed and like walks out of frame and then like walks right back in so fast. So it's, it, it's again, it's that beautiful, like, ability to play with the frame and like the depth of what you're looking at when you have that unbreak like unbreaking or unbreakable uh shot so it's only three minutes but i love it i think it's an awesome part of this movie 
Yeah, this is a very compelling scene. I'm I'm totally with you. It really is. I have a note specifically on this movie as well about Brody walking away and leaving mm-hmm. and like running his hands through his hair. He's clearly distressed. And I think this is part of what makes it different from the Ong Bak, uh, you know, four minute fight scene versus maybe something more like rope, because this is more, this, this is more of a mixture between the two where you have actual movement happening within the scene. You have people weaving in and out and the dialogue. I, I don't know. There's, there's no, well, there's a way, I guess, but, I guarantee if you read the script that when they start talking over each other, you know, I doubt it was like, okay, here's where you start to talk over each other in the script. I don't know. Maybe it is, but I love how that happens. And I love how honest it feels. And I love how from this era, even imperfections, it's not something that you feel like you need to Photoshop out or or whatever the hell it is. I, I love how raw and honest and realistic this entire sequence feels. It's great. Yeah, I think there's a couple in this one because isn't the Quint? Uh, it's a monologue. Yeah, he's got a monologue. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and the kind of funny. I'm gonna like make a a theater parallel here. Um, so you know Robert Shaw, Quint. Um, his son is named Ian Shaw, and he wrote a play called The Shark is Broken, and it's on Broadway right now. I'm actually going to see it at the end of this month. I'm really excited about that. But it's a play about the making of Jaws and just how the, you know, all the things that went wrong on that set. And Ian plays his dad playing Quint in the play. So the play is three men playing, you know, Brody Hooper and Quint. So it's just another like cool example of how um, film and theater can intersect and inform one another. Oh, totally. That's such a cool story. And I'm so glad that he, he did that. You got to let us know how it is. Oh, I will. I absolutely will. I'm so excited to check it out. Yeah. And I mean, beyond this scene, and beyond that scene, this movie is talk about 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That this is the Rotten Tomatoes of my heart. This movie is 100% on everything. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just perfect. I it, mean, and it's, it's all one of those characters. where, like, when you talk about the best movies ever, like, if someone says Jaws, you go, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, of course. No one's going to be shocked, but yeah. Oh, have you ever heard of uh, the Scorpions? It's like, yeah, I've heard of the fucking Scorpions. They're yeah. really good at guitar. <laughs> but yeah. This it's one of those things amazing. like, you know, like if you meet somebody who's like, I don't like pizza. You're like, who who are you? So like if you ever met someone that was like, yeah, I don't really like Jaws. It's like, I don't even know. I don't even know who you are right now. How how do you even say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's. Completely true. This is a great pick. Jamie, do you have a great pick for your uh, your number two? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I have two great picks. So it's uh, oh, Halloween no. 1978, and then I'm going to piggyback that with Halloween 2018. Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago.
so the original has, of course, the opening scene where little Mikey is looking through the window. Uh, from there, we kind of go all the way through, pick up the knife, watch the boyfriend go upstairs, go up there and take care of business, uh, which For is one. Nine seconds. It, it's something that we all love. Uh, just that whole that POV shot him behind the mask and the whole thing is just ugh, it still is unnerving to watch. Right. And it's like you're in his shoes watching him go up there like you feel almost culpable or something that it you almost feel like you're part of it and it feels kind of dirty uh yeah the first person shot i mean that's such a ballsy move yeah you know and the fact that it's his sister it's just like the whole thing you feel you never feel comfortable watching that even though i've yeah. seen it like a hundred times i still feel uncomfortable every time like i shouldn't see my sister naked uh and then 2018 i don't know you you guys know the scene it it it's almost a, a mirror of Halloween two that that scene with the husband and wife they're watching TV. So he comes through. Uh, uh, yeah. Michael's walking down the yep. street, bump of those kids, and then he comes from there. Like you see him, like you start taking this journey with him through that house, and then the way that they like he comes through like the baby crib, and you're like, oh my god, not the baby! And he goes out, uh, hits the street, which like I remember sitting in the theater and being like. This is fucking incredible. Like just this journey I'm taking for this four minutes. Like this is so this ride is wild. And then you see that uh, that couple that then you see in Halloween Kills. They're going to clearly that same bar that we see later. Uh, and oh, then the doctor he, and the nurse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he yeah. goes on to that front porch and he's watching the girl in there, the babysitter. Right. Uh, or the, the girl who's home alone. Her parents are gone and she's probably talking to her friend. You assume she's talking to her friend on the phone about how. Hey, have you seen on the news about this Michael Myers guys? Like, what are you kidding me? Like, that's Haddonfield. That's right. Uh, and then you see him come in and you watch that happen from the front porch, essentially. Like, it is. Yeah. It's just insane. Like, that that shot to me is the best part of that movie. That The more that I watch that that trilogy, I think 2018 is my favorite. And that has a big part uh, to do with it. Yeah, I totally agree. I just rewatched that. Uh, last week and it had been a little bit since I'd seen it and that is absolutely the scene that stands out in that movie yeah yeah that's it's incredible that's definitely my favorite that scene the end of it that kill on the window that has been my probably my favorite scene of the movie and the fact that it's linked to that larger long you know that long take you're totally right man I never even like you realize it when you're watching it that it's compelling for a reason. And I think sometimes we don't even recognize that the long shots are happening. Like when I found out Jaws, that scene was uncut. I was, that was news to me. And I've seen that movie 6,500 times, you know? Yeah. And Jamie, when you said that just now, I was like, oh yeah, that is totally correct. And it's not even something that you realize, but your, you know, your heart and your body feels it, even though you're, yeah, you feel it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Even yeah. if you don't know what's happening, you feel it. Yep. They were saying that took David, David Gordon Green was saying that took like 11 takes and they got it on the 11th take. Ugh. Saying to our, to what we were all saying, he was saying that like something just always fucking went wrong. It was just always something yeah. was out of place or just always something. Oh, man. Yeah. It, that's rough. That's rough. And then, you know, kind of going back to the the um, 
you know, the opening of the original Halloween, like the fact that you do have this scene that really makes you uncomfortable and like the, you know, the point of view from, from Michael and it's the very, it's the opening scene. So like, it just sets the tone for that movie in like the most perfect way. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And that's uh, Deborah Hill's hands, right? As oh the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grabbing the knife because they said the she was the only one that had hands small enough. Because <laughs> I don't think oh, that's oh, man. Like that. yeah. they that's great. They didn't have the child available for that portion of it. But Jamie, I, I was reading about that one today and there's there's speculation that the when the mask comes over the camera, that that's one cut. I mean, even if it is one cut still from that moment on is all incredibly impressive. But I did I did read that today and I was like, huh, I wonder if that's true. I'll have to ask John. So the mask, when he puts a mask on, that's a there, cut? That that's what an uh one article I read today stated. Yeah. But um, John Carpenter texted me be. last week asking if he could be on the show. I told him maybe. Well, even so, if it's <laughs> just from where the mask is on on, that's still something. You know, yeah, right. That's still quite the feat. Dude. One million percent. Yeah. But also, we don't know if it's true. So, like I said, we'll ask John. There you go. All right, buddy. You're on your number two? Yeah, on my number two. So I'm going to stay on the fun end of the spectrum after picking Funny Games for my first one. So I'm going to go with the 2004, 2004 Zomcom, <laughs> uh, Shaun of the Dead by Edgar Wright. ever think that modern life is not for you? Do you do the same dead-end job every day? Is your love life dying on its feet? To a wonderful mom. Oh. Have you ever felt that you're turning into the world? So that beginning scene, I mean, I, I, we, I feel like probably all have a ton of affection for this movie because it does the thing where it basically feels like you're watching a day unfold with people that would probably be your friends. And they're taking the culture and community of people that you feel like you already adore and just met and putting it in the scenario of something that we also love, which is a horrific event happening around them. So we've got this, you know, post zombie apocalypse outbreak and you have uh, two two main characters, best friends, one of whom wakes up has a terrible job that he hates at an electronic mm-hmm. store, and per his daily routine, walks down to the corner store, and that is our long take in the beginning of this movie. So we are following our uh our hero as he's walking to grab a soda and a paper, and he's wakes up overtired, and he's walking through the street, and as he's walking, I was talking to you guys early before before we started rolling on this my daughter my youngest actually watched the scene over my shoulder today uh just this portion of it and it's so funny the way he is completely oblivious it's like mr magoo walking through the street stepping over dead bodies zombies walking around him bloody handprints he's pissed that there's no paper available and it's because the outbreak broke out and nothing's being printed and he wanders back home completely 
completely oblivious to the fact that the world is legitimately expiring around him. So uh, I love this scene. It's a little over three minutes, I think. And again, nothing but affection for this movie. And I love it. Yeah, me too. This movie is so great. And like, yeah, he's like yawning. He's walking down the street. (laughs) And like, it doesn't, um, it doesn't work without Simon Pegg, right? Like, he's so funny. I struggle to think of like, who else could have that, just like that comedic timing in that way. Uh, He like just makes that the scene, but obviously the whole movie just like, just really work. He's so funny. Yeah, I feel like if you put Tom Hanks in that scene, it wouldn't be as good, you know? I I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's the selection of who's doing it that just makes it so so compelling. Yeah, that's a great that's a great pick. Thank you. Jamie, any yeah. comments on Shaun of the Dead? It's or a really good do one. you wanna Yeah, you know we we love films? that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. It's hilarious. Uh and that scene is it's one of those where I've Ever since uh, I took this film class, uh, I didn't take many, but I took one in college. And I remember that being something that we focused on was some of the uh, long cuts. And uh, we watched different things, but I've always had an eye for those now. Like, that's always something that I kind of notice. Uh, So that was one that I noticed pretty much right off the bat like oh my god this is like one whole long thing which is just awesome because you think about all that goes into it every time uh so yeah just like the cameraman like if he trips on like you know like just the like who left their fucking wallet on the ground here like why did i trip (laughs) over this like just stupid shit that could happen you know cameraman and, it, and honestly, that scene is like something that you would think like, oh, yeah, it's easy to film in one take. And it, I'd be curious to see how many takes that took. That is one where it's not a static like it's a shot that actually follows him. And you feel the bounce of someone probably walking with a gimbal or whatever. And even when he's in the store <laughs> yeah. and he's like paying, they pan from him to behind the counter and then they pan back. So it is a very inclusive shot in the sense that it follows the movement of him and it's also moving in a very similar way so i that's what i found so compelling about it it's almost like if you were to film that scene in the office i feel like it would kind of look the same way and yeah probably why i gravitate toward it so much but love shawn of the dead yeah absolutely all right casey let's hit your number one all right. Uh, I am going to go with The Haunting of Hill House, uh, written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Now I want you two to get good rest. What if I have a bad dream? Well, I'm sure we can handle any dream you have. What if I dream that you sent us away? into the dark and me got hurt really hurt oh my god i (laughs) love this show i love this show too i i'm a big mike flanagan fan i really like um you know like dr sleep i love pretty much all of the things he's done on netflix um i love and there's a there's his one of his like really older movies that I just checked out. The name is like escaping me. Oh, Lake Mungo 
is Mike Flanagan. Have you guys ever seen that? He did like oh, Mongo? Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that. Yes, I have seen that. Yeah, like that was, I'm a fan of that too. That showed up on best of horror list that I was um, like watching, I think on Shudder. And I was like, oh, I got to check that out. And that just didn't disappoint. So I love almost everything he does, but Haunting of Hill House is my absolute favorite. I think it's so creepy. I mean, like, I, you know, you guys might feel this way, but like when you, when you watch horror, like as much as you know, we do like, it starts to get a little hard to like really creep you out sometimes. Right. Like I have fun watching almost all horror, but like, you know, to really creep me out, it takes a lot. And this show creeped me out. Um, the episode I want to talk about is episode six, which is called two storms. And it is set. Um, so, you know, I guess spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen this yet, like you're crazy, you have to go see it. You have to watch it right now. Um, But it follows the Crane family and they're um, a member of their family passes away. So everybody, you know, in the the remaining family members come together to um, it's the night before the funeral. So they all come together to say, you know, to kind of meet each other for the first time in a while, you know, their dad's coming in and they have a really rough relationship with dad. Um, so they're at the funeral home and this whole episode is just in the funeral home. And I think there's actually like three, um, cuts within the, the hour long episode, but it's still, it's an hour long and there's only three cuts. So those are really long scenes and it's just like it, so not only does it weave through this funeral home uh, and, you know, all of these family members coming together, but then it also at a certain point, like crosses into like flashback territory. So then you're like on a whole other set yeah. with a whole other group of actors. And then it shifts back to the original. Like it's so it's so wild to me, like how much prep and planning must have gone into making this episode and it's so effective and so creepy and it like the camera will you know swing one way and then it swings back and there's you know a ghost it's just standing in the back of the room and then the camera moves away and then it goes back and that ghost is gone and like nobody sees it nobody reacts to it but it's it like it's just it creeps me out and I love it so much and you know that ghost is like skin off, like, I got to change. I got to get, I have to dress up like Albert Einstein for the next scene. Hurry up. Yeah, the way. yeah like, yeah. I want to like zoom out and see what it looks like beyond what the camera is just getting. Because you got to have people like waiting and then they like dart in and then they go out really fast. Like it's, it's so, uh, it's just so impressive. And so you need so much rehearsal for that. And I'm it, coming from the theater world. I just, I really appreciate the work that goes into creating these scenes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you saw it, Casey, but they made a little like featurette on how that was filmed. I did. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It It is cool. Like that makeshift elevator that they made just, so that the cameraman can go from the top floor down to the bottom there without, you know, walking or moving essentially like, wow, just the amount of stuff. And I think they rehearsed for like a month. Yeah. Which is insane. Like to dedicate a month, like you think at some point someone would be like, you know what? Fuck this. Just throw some cuts in there. God damn it. You know? Also it's like pitching a perfect game. Everyone has to feel their position, you know? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Not one. And no one wants to be the one that's, nine minutes in and is like fuck i forgot the line yeah, yeah. And, you yes. have, and, and what makes it harder is that you have children actors involved in this and totally like, you know yeah yeah 
Yep, and there's a there's a scene where God damn you, Julia! <laughs> uh, dude, I was just He's thinking seven! we're gonna hear in like five years about Mike Flanagan yelling at kids on set. Like, yeah, that's, really that's traumatizing these set. poor kids. <laughs> we're joking, Mike. I got your text as well. I'll get back to you. Yeah, you'll yes. be on the show soon too. Just right yeah. after, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, so yeah, there's a scene when the dad comes into the funeral home and it's like it's um, you know, close up on the dad, and he kind of says it's the first time he's seeing his kids in a long time. And like right before he came in, all of the the adult children were sitting on this like sofa. So, you know, the camera swings to the dad. And then the camera swings back to the sofas and it's all of the kids like sitting on the sofa, like, cause he's, you know, they're his children. So they're always, you know, six years old or 10 years old in his eyes. So he looks at his kids like that. And then the camera circles around. And then when it comes back, it's the adults again. And it's such an effective scene. Like it really pulls at your heart and, um, like you said, like there's like those kids are probably waiting off off screen and then they fly in and sit down and then they got to switch places with their adult counterparts. It's just it's so, so cool. And the fact that it's just all one continuous motion makes it so much more effective. The show makes me tear up so often because of the amount of emotions it draws out of you. It's so scary at times. It's so emotional at times. It's so sad at times. It's so happy at times. You feel angry. This really takes you through basically everything a person can feel. And it's incredibly well done. So this is great pick. Great show. We love Mike Flanagan and his work. Yes, we do. He was yeah. uh, featured on the director's episode we did. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. As he should have yeah. been. I went to... um halloween horror nights at universal florida um two years ago i think and one of their houses was the haunting of hill house and they had the bent neck lady and like the really you know tall guy no and yeah so no i'm not joking i'm not exaggerating the woman in front of us it was like this a little bit of an older woman and her two children she legitimately Peter Pants. She was so oh scared at this at this house, and her kids were cracking up at her because she did that. So, Jesus. and you know, yeah, it probably took it was, so much to talk her into doing that in the first place. And then, yeah. oh my God, terrified. mom pissed herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jamie, what's your number one, man? All right, so uh, I'm gonna go with Exorcist three. Seventeen years ago. An extraordinary motion picture touched our most profound, nameless fears. Do you dare walk these steps again? Death be not proud, nor canst thou kill me. Satan grows stronger. You believe in possession, Father? Do you? So, yeah. Good pick. William Peter Blatty, uh, 1990, which this does not feel like a 1990 film. Dude, it feels, uh, it feels like 79. Like I was yes. going to say 1978. It yeah. definitely does not feel that way. Uh, but this is the infamous scene at the nurse's station where you are not at the nurse's station. You're about 200 feet back in the hallway uh, just sitting there watching the nurse's station. You're watching the nurse kind of come in and out. 
it, what I love about this is like you're set in one singular space in the hallway, but yet you're aware of all the space around you. You know that there's rooms or stuff going on in the rooms. You know that the nurse's station has hallways connecting. There's a door going on in the back. So like you're aware of all this other stuff that's happening. It just so happens that you're sitting there uh, watching this from a distance, which makes it even creepier. Right. And like the first time you see this, it almost could be like, oh, I should pick up my phone and see what's going on. But in 1990, you didn't have that luxury and you're stuck just staring down this hallway. Like, what could be going? What what am I waiting on? Like, what's this anticipation building to? Little do you know, it's one of the best jump scares in horror history, in my opinion. Um, the way that it culminates, the way that it just ends abruptly at that point, like you've been sitting here all this time, three minutes or whatever it is. And then it just kind of ends at that. It's and what it cuts to. Oh, well, just. I mean, to me, it's it's one of my favorite scenes in horror, I would say. Um, and it's because it culminates with Jimmy. such a fucking you get such a visceral reaction from the ending of, of that scene. I was this this was the one. A selection in, in doing research that I actually thought about being in the moment of that production and thinking of. Agnes or whoever the hell the woman was that was dressed up like that to perform yeah. the jump scare think of her like sitting back there it's basically the sensation you have of playing hide and seek right where you're like oh my god i, I, gotta, I can't screw this up you know what i mean and you're yeah. in this costume you're in this makeup and you have all this like ridiculous thing on and and as the person that's being that's walking and you know like this is going to happen behind you talk about pissing your pants yeah like yeah. oh I, I love the thought, though, of actually on set, you know, six minutes before and six minutes after that was filmed, what was happening and the conversations all of them were having and whoever was playing, play, playing the, the walk behind being, oh, my God, I almost stepped on the back of your foot. Like, just think of all of that actually. Happening. Yeah, I love all that type of shit happening yeah. off, yeah. off, off camera. Yeah. All right, now go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, when I, when I press the center, here are your shears. Get, get. Yeah. Yeah. That means walk. (laughs) (laughs) But people sleep on this movie for sure because it's the third installment and the original movie has such notoriety to it. But I, I, I like Exorcist 3 more than the original, I would say. Wow. I've, I mean, I agree. Uh, but I, it's something that, maybe I wouldn't have said 10 years ago, you know, it's like, I've grown to love that type of movie. And it's almost, it's got like a film noir touch to it where, you know, you're, you're kind of following this detective around hard boiled detective trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, which I I love. And I love George C. Scott and I love his relationship with the priest and the whole thing. I mean, I just love the whole thing. Them going to that movie together. Just, um, I just feel like it's, that movie as scary as it is and as dark as it is like it's almost it's also a, a really like great uh delicious piece of humble uh comfort pie for me because it's just like i could watch this going to bed i could watch it in the morning and just always like be smiling even though it's in the face of horror you know yeah, yeah I'm like what a cool thing to say like to say about one movie that it's like comfort pie for you, but then it also has one, like one of, if not the best jump scares, like that's in one movie. That's really, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think it has two of the best jump scares, quite frankly, that kitchen scene as well. That, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think of that too. All right. 
Agnes, you're up again. Go. Crawl, crawl, crawl. Whatever the hell she's doing up there. But I, I do, Jamie, I, I feel like 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said it. I feel like I felt this way 10 years ago, and I just didn't have the confidence to say it out loud because I feel like we're, n- I feel like you're not supposed to say, I like Exorcist 3 more than, than the original because people are like, you're crazy, which is fine. And the original Exorcist probably is the better movie. And it did so much more and it it made its stamp in time. And this came out so many years after. So I, I get all of that. But in terms of if I'm sitting there holding one in each of my hands, thinking, okay, it's Tuesday night at 7 p.m. I'm going to put one of these on. It's going to probably be Exorcist 3 because it just, it's an easier watch, I think. Yeah. And in all honesty, I look at Exorcist, uh, the original, as a Halloween movie. Not that it's Halloween, but like the Halloween time movie for me, I, maybe because I grew up watching it around that time. Yeah. Uh, October. Right. So like to me, that's a Halloween movie. Like Exorcist 3 is a movie I can watch any any time of the year. Winter. It almost feels more of a winter movie, honestly. Yeah. But that's what I love. I love that I can have Exorcist as a Halloween movie. Uh, watch that in October. Knock it out. You always have your standards that you have to get through. Like that's one of mine. Exorcist three is not on my Halloween list. That that's in any time of the year. So that's how I separate the two. Yeah, man, I'm gonna have to watch both of those again here this month. <coughs> and it's, it's funny that just sort of nobody really talks about the second one that much. Yeah, we're one gonna in, skip that. One and three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. This James is really- Earl Jones in there dressed up like a fucking like I don't even know what what is going on in that movie. This yeah. is the sequel that. Uh, that William Peter Blatty wanted, right? So, yeah, not heretic. Yep. All right, I'll head to my last one, which it feels strange that this is the one that's the last of these nine. But we're gonna go back to 2011 with the film Silent House. On Friday, March 9th, at 7:20 p.m. One of the most shocking and twisted incidents ever recorded (laughs) befell Sarah Murphy and her father. Their ordeal lasted 88 minutes. Witness these true events in real time. Mm. I remember watching this in uh, Chicago with our wives, John. I know, man. So this was directed by Chris Kentis and Laura Lou. uh, Laura Lau, sorry. Laura Lau. And this, as I mentioned, was 2011. And we've got... uh, the i guess the lesser known olsen elizabeth olsen i believe it's the younger sister of the twins right mm-hmm. and i remember this being her big kind of i feel like she was young when this came out i don't know how young but i it seemed like she was like under the age of 25 right she seemed pretty young in this movie i thought like 20 19 20 and she is in this film which is basically a series of long takes very similar to rope and i believe when it came out that it was marketed and pitched as one continuous shot and i think we watched it thinking it was like one shot and they do some really nifty kind of cool tricks where they're transitioning from kind of like room to room or whatever and there's blackness and there's dark and i make the assumption that that's likely the time in which they were doing their cuts but uh, Elizabeth Olsen spilled the beans during an interview that basically it was shot in a, sequ- a series of 16-minute sequences 
and that was later corroborated by by the directors. But they did go on record saying that rope is the inspiration to to the way they shot the film. And talk about lighting, Jamie. You mentioned this earlier. This takes place. Th- this is equivalent to watching someone play Silent Hill. It's basically <laughs> wandering around a house, yeah. and everything's fucking dark, and you just have this flashlight sort of mechanism that's your only source of light and not doing a great job at it. And the directors, I was reading a bunch of articles today about this movie, and they were talking so much about how the lighting was an absolute nightmare to try mm. and establish any sort of continuity in, in establishing and capturing shots. So that was that was pretty interesting. But this movie made, I feel like, a lot of money for what they spent to make it. I think it was... Uh, what six point six million during opening weekend? Grand wow. total twelve point eight domestically. So you can yeah. tell by the way the movie was shot, this was pretty low budget film. Yeah. Uh, in comparison to what it made, so I thought this would be a good one though. This was a similar, you know, similar to Rope. We already talked about that. This is a more modern day version of that. But uh, this movie's not amazing, but it's pretty good. It's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. I would definitely recommend checking it out. The uh, real definition of a slow burn. Like it's not, yeah. there's nothing exceptional, exceptional about this movie other than the feat of how it was filmed. It's kind of like the Skinamarink thing where it's, you do the thing in advance where you're like, I'm already going to give this grace because they did a cool thing in the production and the payoff is pretty good on this one. Yeah. This, this movie's worth checking out. It's worth a watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think I saw it when it first came out but i uh, it's probably time for a revisit because i don't remember a ton and i you know elizabeth olsen's been in so much since then right she's got like a big role in the you know the marvel universe and she's done like yeah. a couple independent things i think she's really great so I, I definitely need to revisit this one i agree i think she's the best actor out of all of them quite frankly not to not to say Passport to Paris isn't a good movie. I was going to say your sister <laughs> would throw shit at you. Yeah, I feel like she would be mad about that. Well, this was great. I'm glad we uh, we did this prompt. This was a little difficult. Do you yeah. guys have any monologues or like films you want to reference that have good monologues? We don't have to do too deep of a dive, but, you know, like. Pearl, oh, yeah. Pearl you were talking about which one, Casey? Uh, not X. Not X, but. Oh, Pearl? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I think John was talking about that. Oh, one John earlier. was yeah. yeah, yeah. But you were talking about which movie, Resurrection? I was talking about that Resurrection. Was filmed in your hometown, right? It was yeah. The whole pretty much the whole thing was filmed in my hometown. So where Rebecca Hall, like where she walks to work, like that's the Capitol in Albany. Um, the mall that she goes to, like that's that's our mall. So like it's I think that's a really cool movie. It's really weird um and kind of is, you know, has an ambiguous ending. So if that's not really your thing, like, you know, you've been warned, I suppose, but um it's a cool <laughs> weird movie, but just the fact that like I can watch it and pick out all these places that I know makes it makes it so much Oh, cooler. yeah, that always adds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she's got this like amazing monologue. I don't even know how long it is. It's several minutes. I think it's I think it's 8 minutes. Wow. And it's just like, she's so good. And like, it's, she's talking about some really like dark shit, like some, (laughs) some trauma that she's faced with this man who's now like reappeared in her life. And, uh, 
the camera like really, really slowly just moves in tighter on her face, but you don't even realize it's happening because you're just so engaged in what she's saying and like her, the, her, the like changes in her face as she tells this really, really kind of horrific story. Uh, it is like top notch acting and, uh, it is a very weird, cool movie that I would, I would recommend checking out. Oh yeah. 100%. I love this movie. I love Rebecca Hall. And this uh, is one of those where you're listening to her talk and you're like, well, this can't be fucking real, you know, but yeah. you're watching the, watching her face also tell you like, this is 100% real. Like it's, it's really, it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. She's yes. Right. She's not making this up. And that's, yeah, that's kind of the whole thing that you, you go through this movie thinking like, is what is what she's saying really happening or is she mm-hmm. having some kind of psychotic break? And I, I don't really think the movie answers the question as clearly as some people might like it to, but I'm I'm good with an ambiguous ending. If you tell like a really compelling story and leave me like thinking, then then it's it's worth a watch in my book. Yeah. Yeah. So I I'm on the fence. I used to hate those types of endings. I hated ambiguous endings. Like just fucking tell me, please. Uh, just tell me because I don't want to think too hard. I'm typically stoned when I'm watching movies. I'm like, just just feed it to me, please. Uh, but this one really makes you think. And like, I feel like, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like whatever you feel like, whatever your decision on it is, that's where you stand. Nope. I'm right. Like this is this. Yeah. yeah, No, this is what it is. Oh, you, you have that opinion. Well, fuck you. This is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the most fun, like post movie experience. Like if you watch a movie like that and you're like, well, I think it means this. And the person that you watched it was like, no, absolutely not. That didn't, that wasn't real. And you're like, are you kidding me? And then that (laughs) like fight after a movie. It's so good. Yeah, no, exactly. If you can't do that after a movie like this, then what was the point? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That is the point for sure. Yeah. And that's cool that the correlation exists of it being filmed in your, in your hometown and stuff. And yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's so neat. Cause yeah. like we like John and I like, Oh my God, uh, Jason goes to hell. They mentioned Youngstown morgue, the Youngstown <laughs> federal morgue. And like, we, that we like, we get our rocks off on that, you know, yeah. Yeah. And yours is like actually in the hometown. Ours yeah, yeah. was not in Youngstown. It says Youngstown. They did not film that fucking like, yeah. thing in Youngstown. Like, oh, I saw Carrie at the grocery store yeah. yesterday. The one who made, yeah. <laughs> yep. Also, I checked. Elizabeth Olsen was 32 when that movie was made. So like I Holy said, shit. 19 years wow. old. Wow. But I feel like that movie was, you said 2011. She doesn't seem that old to me now. Wow, really? She was 32 then. Oh, wait. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Something's it off, came out John. 2011. You'd be like right. 70 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We're good. We're good. She was born in 1989. So 22? Yeah. So, like I said, All right. 32. Nice. <laughs> Thought I wasn't going to have to edit this episode, but here we are. God damn. All right, Casey, this was a blast. Thank you so much. Again, uh, where can people find find you plug your stuff what do you what do you want people to know and where do you want to send people awesome yeah um so for creative license our primary social channel is instagram so we're creative underscore license and from there you can get to our website and get to our patreon and um show some support that way we have a podcast too we have a lot of digital content so even if you're not local uh, there's still a lot of cool ways that you can get involved in the stuff that we're doing Awesome. 
Thanks so much for coming on the show, Casey. Uh, we love having you on. We love talking to you. And we consider you a friend now. So uh, this Thank was great. You. Thank you guys so much. I had such a great time. Thank you.